Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we work to end the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real-life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates as we debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, frauds, scams, and multi-level marketing. Join us all month for cult stories, education, and experiences. Don't be culty, huns. Hey, Hunbots and Hun Bros. I am really excited about this episode today for a couple reasons. One, it fits so perfectly into cult month and it hits so many of the bells and whistles of the stories that we have been telling this year. Two, it was filmed and recorded live with a live audience in Dallas, Texas at Obsessed Fest this year. And three, like, it's the first time that I got to do something like this. It was exhilarating. It was so cool to be able to connect with listeners, to be able to tell a story live, to have jokes, to have people laugh back at the jokes. It was just an entirely new thing. And it was so cool. And so when I got the audio back, I thought, you know what, I want to share this with all of my listeners. It is such a cool experience. Shout out to every single one of you that was there in the room that day and gets to relive this incredible moment. You guys got to be there for my very first live show. That is something I will never, ever, ever forget. It was so amazing. And it's all because of you guys being here, listening, being fans, embracing me and the show the way that you have these last few years. It is so unbelievably humbling, and I just want to say thank you. You guys are so cool. And so it's really cool. Once I have the video, the video of this interview will be put onto the Patreon. So if you are a Patreon member, you will be able to watch the video as well. But this is a very lightly edited, just really for like spikes in volume and things like that. I tried to keep it as even as possible and took out a couple of our ums and a couple of our long pauses. But other than that, it is pretty unedited. I was gonna do like a Patreon edit and I started and I thought, you know what? No, I am so proud of the fact that I faced, I wouldn't call it a fear, but just something that sort of made me nervous, which was telling a story live. And it was just so cool. And so I wanted to share it with everybody. Also, I want to welcome our newest Hunbot Slayer, Savannah Johnson. Thank you for becoming a member of the Patreon. It is very much appreciated. We have a couple culty AMAs coming up in the Patreon as well, if you are interested in joining on those exclusive live chats. The links are in the show notes, so you can head on over and check that out if that is something that interests you. Outside of the normal trigger warnings that any episode during cult month would have, There aren't really any other things to add. We talk about purity culture, LGBTQ, coming out story, and the ICOC. Enjoy. Because we're live. Isn't this wild? This is wild. And then it'll go on the show with all of your guys being like, woo, and all that. So it's a big thing. Here comes some more. More people. (laughs) This is so fancy. I have like a whole crew. Okay, there's actually there's a fidget up here. This is mine. Is that yours? This is the pyramid poppet. Very cool. It's my daughter gave it to me because she was really into poppets for a while, and then I said that one looks like a pyramid, and she's like, "You can have it." (laughs) And sometimes I use it to describe things because it's funny. I think it's funny. I like it. It's yeah, 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 yeah. Um, It's a, it's like a, I don't know. It's like a prop. I don't have a lot of props. I don't have a theme song really. You know, like these are all things that when I watch other people, I'm like. I should have that, too. That's why that's there. Because I was having a lot of FOMO, and I was like, I need one of those. So people come in, and they go, oh, I'm in the right spot. I'm like, that's it. Like that. 
So I know I'm learning how to be, every day I'm learning how to be even more professional because this was not anything I expected or worked toward in the first, in the beginning. Obviously now it's a different thing, but I didn't expect any of this ever, which I think is really cool. And just being here and like getting to see your guys' face and getting to be able to record an episode live. It's really just ever like this. I never, I don't even have like uh, like a producer or my editor or anything on there. It's just me and the other person. And I think it's really cool to do it that way because I think it, it adds a lot to the personal part of it and the like, oh my God, I would never tell anybody the story. But, and then all of a sudden there's this really great funny story that nobody would have ever told because we have this really intimate. So this is totally different. <laughs> like, so the opposite of intimate two-person conversation. It is. Well, like, like, am I, I going to want to face you? Or am I going to want to, how do you even do that? I don't know. Uh, it's so very different than an intimate two-person conversation. But I'm excited to have it, and I'm excited to try this. And he's fixing a memory card or something, so he's going to be right back. Yeah, so this isn't part of the show, this thing here, so I'll just read this early. This is a, a gratitude journal that I had in LuLaRoe that I found oh, when I found my watch. Yes, this is my LuLaRoe <laughs> gratitude journal. There's only two entries, don't get excited. <laughs> it's very on brand, you know, I'm like one of those people who are like, I'm going to get a planner this year. And then in like November, I'm like, oh my God, that planner. <laughs> That's where I put it, a safe place. So this was a gratitude journal. I don't. It says, hello, gorgeous on it, you know, and on the, on the spine, it says gratitude journal hashtag because of LuLaRoe. <laughs> See, I thought you wrote that ironically, but you wrote that no, for real at the this time. this is for real. Okay. Kathy, this is for real. <laughs> I was in it. Let me read you the first entry and then you'll be like, oh yes. <laughs> this book belongs to Berta right here. I wrote it very fancy. So pathetic and sad. Hello. Okay. Date four, five, 16. So like a month in. Oh, no. <laughs> Not even, because I joined in March. So this is a couple, like maybe two weeks in. Oh my God. Okay, it says, sold over $2,700 my first week. Yeah. Right? That's a lot. That's a pretty good amount of money in a week, I thought, for my first week. This business is amazing. <laughs> it gets worse. And I am so grateful I took the leap. Uh, it says, good thing come to those who hustle. And I wrote it in caps. Like, but not like caps, like, like block letters. Like I, like I just sketched out the block letters. Um, it says, I would, I never would I believe I could pay so much of a huge chunk so quick, which was my initial investment of $9,000, right? So I paid like a third of it in a week. Like this is what, like when I tell people, like I could not keep this stuff on the shelf. That's what it is. Um, that's the first entry. And then. The next entry is a, almost a year later. <laughs> I told you it's pretty on brand. Uh, on 3-18-17, almost one year in, I hit trainer in July and was invited to leadership in October. Charlie, my ex-husband, had a blast. That's what they wanted. They were, they were like, you need to divorce him unless you can get him to an event, and then we might like him. And that's what happened. We're going on the cruise in May. <laughs> I can't believe this journey. So full of gratitude. What? That was the last entry. <laughs> I was like, I bought this whole book and wrote, I didn't even write on the backs of the pages. I wrote two pages. That's it. But I thought it was really funny. And so I wanted to share it with you guys and sort of like break the ice and like get us laughing and like very funny. Because we know if we don't laugh, we cry. And we're going to tell some pretty heavy stories, content warning. We're talking about colds and frauds and scams and all that stuff today. And this is Kathy. She lives here in Dallas, and um, you'll get to know her in a second. But I put out a call to action when Patrick was like, hey, you should do a live podcast episode. And I was like, people would care about that? Like, I didn't think anybody would want to watch me do this. And so I said, okay, let's put out this call to action. I'm looking for somebody that I've never interviewed before, who lives locally, who would be interested in telling their story. And... Kathy commented and, and, uh, and I was like, oh, yep, that's the one. And like so many people, like, I don't know if you guys know Dave Vaughn. He shows up on the show sometimes. He was like, oh, yeah, this is the one. Like Dave knew immediately. And I was like, yeah. He's like, you're going to, you're, that's the one, right? I said, yes. And so when I talked to Kathy, um, well, tell them what your comment said first, like what you responded sort of in this, and then you'll know what the story's about, and then we'll get into it. Yeah. So I, I sat there and looked at it because I knew, I'm like, if I respond to this, 
I will get picked and I will be the person <laughs> who is sitting there. And so I, I to give other people a chance. Yeah. Well, I was kind of trying to decide, like, am I really ready for this? <laughs> so I put something on there along the lines of, um, uh, well, let's, let's look at some possibilities here of what we could talk about. I was a beauty counter rep. I was in a cult, the ICOC, actually, which I had just listened to that episode like two days before that. And I, um, because of my upbringing in evangelical Christianity, it took me until I was 50 years old to figure out that I'm a lesbian. So, right. So I mean, who wouldn't pick that? We've, we have a few things to talk about. I know. I was like, that's like at least three of the topics that we talk about and like, just, you know, the great awakening of everything. So I'm really excited to welcome you all here to the very first and hopefully not last episode of Life After MLM Live. So, yeah, right? Wild. Like I said, I would never expect that there's an audience watching us. Um, but let's get into it. So you started, you said that you were raised an evangelical Christian before the ICOC. We're going to start there. Okay. Talk to us about being a child. And was you were raised Baptist? Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about you being in a Baptist church as a child, and then we'll get into the ICOC and, and go into that. Yeah. So I was raised in Texas, where there's a church on every corner. And um, <laughs> we definitely... Uh, were there every Sunday and every Wednesday. I was always so excited when it was daylight savings time, but it was in the spring. One year, my parents forgot to change their clocks and we got to church and it was all full and like already an hour into the service. So we got to go home. So I was like, yes, but um, no. And I would sit there with them every single week. And, you know, I always knew what my parents expected of me, right? Like I was to be a good girl, I was to be a Christian. I was to get married to a nice Christian man and make babies and be a stay-at-home mom. Like, I always just knew that was the trajectory that I was expected to go on. And as a uh, very, very honed people pleaser and Enneagram 1, I don't know if any of you know Enneagram, but it's, yeah, okay, um, it's Enneagram 1 is the perfectionist. And so that means your core fear is worrying about being a bad person. So I had the prescription to be a good person. I just had to do these things, be a Christian, marry a Christian man, make Christian babies, be a stay-at-home mom. Check, check, check. Got it. So that's how, that was my mentality as I was growing up. (laughs) It's like so textbook. Like you hear that story so many times. You hear so many people who are like, this is what I was raised as. This is what I did. I needed to get into heaven. I had the spooky Mormon hell dream, the spooky Christian hell dream, the, oh my God, I'm going to burn forever. Like tiny children having nightmares. Was that also your experience? Yeah. I mean, from the time I was, I don't know, maybe four, I fully believed that I was so terrible that I deserved to rot in hell forever. At four? At four. Yeah, because that's what you're taught, and they do it, like, all cute. You know what I mean? Like, you've got the Noah's Ark on the wall, but by the way, you're a filthy, horrible sinner, and without Jesus, it's not so good. And so, yeah, so that was kind of a shadow over even my childhood. Oh, my God. You are raised this way. (laughs) How many else are people raised this way in the audience? That's a pretty good showing of hands, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Um, So you already have like Jesus and all of these feelings in your life when you decide to go to college where the ICOC comes in. ICOC was actually grad school. Oh, grad school. Okay. Yeah. So I went to college um, locally. I went to SMU. Um, Woohoo! And, you know, when I got to college, I was like, dude, I'm not at my parents' house. I can like do what I want. And so I stopped going to church. My mom... Decided to decided that my dad and I needed to have a father-daughter date, which we had never, ever done. It was like the most uncomfortable evening ever because we got all dressed up and we went to this fancy steakhouse. And we were sitting there and he just looked me in the eye and he said, I'm concerned about how you're doing spiritually. And somehow they knew that I wasn't going to church, apparently. And, you know, I, I loved my dad. I respected my dad and I did not want to disappoint him. And so I think he planted that seed of, 
I better can we pass? Yeah. I better get my ass back in church. Um, and so I started, it's barely a cuss word. Um, I'm a, I'm a recovering Christian. It's okay. okay. We are amongst friends. Okay. That's good. Yeah. But then I went to grad school and I moved to California to go to grad school. I knew one person and she wasn't very nice. Sorry, Sarah, if you're listening. Um, and so I was lonesome. I didn't live on campus. I was first time away from home and I was looking for friends. And so I'm like, well, I could try some churches. So I went to a couple churches and didn't really find anything that fit. And then I ran into this guy on campus who I had actually gone to undergrad with, but we were never really friends. I was in the music school. He was in the music school, but we, so we sort of knew each other. And he was like, oh, do you have a church here yet? I have this great church that I go to and I'd love to invite you out. That would, that's what you say. I'd love to invite you out. And it was a church service for college students at the beach. So I'm like, yeah, sure. I would probably fall for that. Oh, I totally did. (laughs) And um, so, yeah, so that was the International Church of Christ, the ICOC. That was my first time to go. And I had this, like, you know, cosmic experience of feeling like I have found my destiny. So they love-bombed me. They, I got, you know, it was... They were doing lunch after church, which nobody told me. And so they're like, okay, well, you know, thanks so much for coming. We're going to have lunch now. And I was pissed because I'm like, nobody told me to bring lunch. And all these college girls swarmed around me. Oh, well, let me share my food with you. We have food for you. And it was just that kind of thing. Right. And so they, the indoctrination process with them, they called it studying the Bible. And it was a series of six or seven Bible studies that were designed to teach you that this was the only church that was saved. If you were not a part of this church, you were absolutely 100% going to hell. And your mission in life was to convert others because we were there to save the world because we didn't want other people to go to hell. It was, uh, we had the evangelization proclamation back in 1994. I started this in 1994. And it was to have, let's see if I can remember it still, to have one church in every nation with a city of 100,000 or more people. And so it was this big thing, and so we all had to give lots of money, and, you know, there were, we had st- stats. It would be like, you have to share, share your faith, which was actually invite people to church, a certain number each week. Sometimes we'd have campaigns. We would door knock. We'd have special events where you, like, pushed really hard and invited tons of people, and, you know, you'd talk to your little, your leader, your Bible talk leader, and how many numbers did you get today? How many people did you share your faith with today? And it was, so it was pretty hardcore. That's what I got sucked into. I mean, I understand moving across the country and showing up and not having friends and getting invited to the beach and sharing your lunch and being like, oh my gosh, I have friends. Mm-hmm. The, all of the proselytization part, like, that's like wild to me. Like, you just show up and knock on the door. What, what, what was that like? Generally, and it wasn't, we really didn't talk about Jesus very much. It was more, do you want to come to my church, right? Because ultimately, no Jesus, Jesus, really. But I mean, Jesus came in during the indoctrination process, for sure. No, we would have like, it wasn't like knocking on doors every day. It would be like, okay, we're going to have a campaign and we're going to go knock on, we're going to go door knocking is what it was called. And you'd get together with a group of people and you'd go, you know, knock on doors. Just like you would, like. When the Jehovah's Witnesses or anybody We go Mormon it or whatever. Mormon it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then... Door to door for Jesus. But not Jesus. Don't mention Jesus. You could mention Jesus, but like getting them to church was the big thing. But it was mostly, it was supposed to just be part of your lifestyle. And it's interesting, and I learned this years later after I'd gotten out. I, when I was in college before I got into all this, I took the Myers-Briggs personality Mm -hmm. test and it scored me as an introvert. And then after I'd been in the ICOC for like 10 years, I took it again and I scored as an extrovert. And so they literally changed my personality. Like now I've taken it again. I'm back to an introvert. That's, you know, that's who I am. But, um, you know, cause it was so the whole sharing your faith thing was so hard and scary for me. I did not like doing it. It was very uncomfortable But it was like, if you don't do it, you're struggling spiritually, there's something wrong with you, you're in sin, all these things. So I learned how to force myself to be that person. So on the off chance that maybe you're not that person, what were some of the the consequences that you would face if you weren't being as pious as as you needed to be? Yes, they had, um, 
<laughs> I'm holding up a little pyramid. Here. <laughs> pyramid poppet. <laughs> um, a pyramid poppet because we had what were called discipling trees. Okay. So at the top of the pyramid was the leader. Like you could go all the way up. There was Kip McKean was like the the international leader, and then there were churches in different cities. And like I was in LA, so it was a very big church. And so we had regions and within the regions, we had sectors. And when the sectors, you had Bible talks. And then each person had what they called a discipler, which meant that this was like your sort of spiritual leader. So you were expected to get advice, to confess your sin, all like you weren't supposed to hide anything from this person. And so if you weren't doing well spiritually, according to their guidelines, which was things like not reading your Bible every day, not sharing your faith as much as you were supposed to, they would corner you and talk to you about it. And if that wasn't enough, they would bring in their discipler. If that wasn't enough, they'd bring in the sector leader. If that wasn't enough, they'd bring in the region leader and they would ambush you. And I did get ambushed one time and it was terrible. Spring is in the air, and with that comes spring cleaning, especially those closets. I am beyond guilty of keeping pieces around that I no longer wear, I'm hoping to fit into again, or I just can't seem to get rid of for whatever reason my brain uses to justify the hanger space. But this year, I am implementing the one-year rule and spring cleaning my wardrobe with the help of Quince. As a sponsor of Life After MLM, shopping with Quince is a great way to support the show and get some cute new items to treat yourself once the purge is over, too. Once you put your seasonal and holiday items in the back of the closet, it's time to purge what's left and see what can be donated and what needs to be retired for good. It's only then that you can organize your keepers and see where you can amp up your style for the coming year. And that's where Coins comes in. By partnering directly with top factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing, Quince cuts the cost out of the middleman and passes the savings on to us at 50 to 80% less than similar brands which means you can stretch your dollar and save on great staple pieces that will last through at least a few spring cleanings. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash MLM for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash MLM to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash MLM. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. was the reason you were ambushed? I was ambushed because I was, I'm going to just play with this whole Oh yeah, that's great. Um, (laughs) I was ambushed because I was engaged to a man. Um, And I was too focused on my wedding instead of our mission. I actually got in trouble because this, they move, they'll move you around to different people. So my discipler was one person. And then right before I got married, they're like, oh wait, we're going to move you over here to this group. This is your new disciple. She'll be your best friend was basically the idea. I don't think they use those words, but she was having her bridal shower. I didn't even know her the same day of my dress fitting. And I actually got in trouble for going to my dress fitting instead of going to her bridal shower. If I, I may be remembering wrong, but I swear to God, as I was driving off, there was someone shouting at my car. I, I may be remembering that wrong, but that's what the memory is for me. Oh my God. Yeah, no, it was really intense, but I, I'm not an idiot. (laughs) I'm not super naive. I just wanted to make a difference. When they dangled that you can make a real difference doing this, we are changing the world. We are fixing things. We are taking away the misery of people. We are giving hope. I latched onto that and I, I believed it. I was all the way, I was all in. 
And um, I've come to find out recently that I am very likely neurodivergent and I'm a very all or nothing person. And so it was very easy for me to be very all once they convinced me that this was the shit. You were with the ICSC for, you said like almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. At what point in that 20 year journey did the red flags really start? Was it almost immediately? There were always red flags, but they, um, you, I don't know if you're, I know you're familiar with thought stopping cliches. So once you start to engage your critical thinking, you're taught different things to say to stop that critical thinking and to stay in line. And so there were lots of thought stopping cliches. I remember having a conversation one time, like I saw something not good happening. Honestly, I can't even remember what it was. And I was like, I'm really concerned about this. This does not look right to me. And I told my discipler this and she said, well, you need to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to be part of the solution. And so it was things like that, that just, and we had, there was a huge upheaval. um, And somebody wrote, it was one of the church leaders, Henry Crete was his name. He wrote a letter and my phone's ringing. I swear I put it on silent. (laughs) Um, I did not. It's it's my 16 year old. Oh, that's why. Because she, She uh, it's my kid. So it's like set to ring even when it's on. Do not disturb. Okay. Um, sorry about that. But anyway, so I completely lost my train. We were talking about What's my name again? Stopping cliche. Yes. Um, Be part of the solution. Yes. Oh, I know what I was talking about. The, the letter. So um, a leader wrote a letter to like the big leader that was like, hey, I see us doing some stuff that I don't feel great about. I don't feel like this is biblical. I feel like we're controlling people and we're treating people like children. And this doesn't seem like something we should be doing. And that letter got leaked. And so there was this huge upheaval. But I was protected because I was running the children's ministry, so I didn't hear a lot of it. I was kind of in my own little right. world. So, But, you know, there were lots of things that came up. But it was, I just was like, but this is the right thing. And if I leave, I will go to hell. Right. And, and I was to the previous fear of being a child and absolutely these things. And they really played on that. And they, I mean, and they didn't, they didn't beat around the bush with it at all. If you are not in this church, you are not saved. Disciple equals Christian equals saved was their thing. And the only way you can be a disciple of Jesus is to be in this church. The only way you can be saved is to be in this church. So your, your upline really, yes, (laughs) your your church upline, you had to confess like, like a Scientology type auditing confession, like anything that you did. Was it like, there's more, tell me more. You're not telling me enough. Um, well, we didn't have to hold on to little cans or pay anybody, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I mean, you were just expected to confess anything that you did wrong. What if you had nothing to confess? I don't know that they would corner you and be like, there's something, I mean, maybe they did. There was a big thing where like, if your Bible talk or your region or your sector or whatever was not, um, growing the way they wanted it to, they would do the whole, their sin in the camp thing. And it would be like, we're going to have this big confession night and you, everybody needs to confess their sin to their disciples because God is holding us back because there's sin here. And so people would like try to figure out what could I be doing? Is it my fault? And that kind of thing. Oh my God. <laughs> the look on your face. <laughs> <laughs> Not people know what I look like on the, on the, the calls when I'm like, my mouth is literally hanging open. It's like this, like what? Yeah. Sin confession nights? How often did those happen? I don't know. It would just kind of depend on how things were going. It wasn't like it's the <laughs> third like, Wednesday we had, of the month. Like we're it was overflowing that. of sin. We need to have a confession night. Yeah, like we didn't have enough visitors last month, so some somebody's oh, in sin. <laughs> so yeah, God has not brought us all of the fortune. Someone is sinning in this room. It's your fault. <laughs> it's your fault. We're not prosperous. <laughs> so you last twenty years in the ICOC. You get married in the yes. ICOC. Let's talk about, well, because we know that you're a lesbian, Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about those feelings and feeling like that to get to heaven, to not be burning in hell for the rest of your life. The way to heaven is to marry a man regardless and have the children. And that's how you get there. Right. I mean, we hear this a lot with lots of religions, especially like be fruitful and prosper and, you know, polygamists, the more wives you have, the higher your planet is in the solar system or whatever. So let's talk about 
your feelings in, in getting married and how you were feeling during that whole time. I mean, you said you were obsessed with planning your wedding. So there's some positive there, right? Yes. Well, I, and we legitimately didn't have that belief. Like okay. there were, you could be single and still be fine. Oh, okay. But I had, I think because of the way I was raised and I just always believed that like my value as a woman would be found as a Christian wife and mother. And so it wasn't even necessarily that anybody was pushing me, but it's just something that I felt like I was supposed to do. Now, here's where the gay gets woven in a little bit. Um, I, for my whole like adolescence, knew there was something wrong with me. I didn't know what it was. I'm like, I'd look in the mirror and go, I, I look normal. I look fine. Like there's nothing like repulsive about like I'm, I'm a reasonably smart person. I can be funny. I'm, you know, like there's nothing really wrong with me that I could see, but I just figured there was some intangible thing about me that was just broken or something. And because guys just didn't like me. And so I was terrified that I would not get married. I was terrified I would not find the right person. And so, um, when the opportunity came up, I was all in on it. So, the way you got married in the ICOC was very prescribed. Um, you went on dates every Saturday night was date night and you would go out with all different people and, in groups? Uh, oh yes, of course. Group dates. Okay. Yes. No, you can never be alone. With and someone, how old are you at this point? I'm in going on grad school. Dates. Grad school. Grad so school. Like 23. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, you know, you would go on dates with a lot of different people and then you would develop an interest. And if you had an interest in a brother, and he had an interest in you, then he would go talk to his discipler who would talk to their discipler who would talk to the sector leader, right? Maybe all the way up to the region leader if you were someone with leadership potential because they wanted to make sure you married the right person. Um, so he would ask permission to... Uh, stop shaking your head. <laughs> he would ask permission for you two to start dating and become boyfriend and girlfriend. And then once you did that then the path to marriage was fairly short because, of course, this was a big part of purity culture. And so you had short engagements to help you stay pure, right? And we know <laughs> by now from the Josh Duggars in the world, yes, I said it, um, that the more you restrict, the just bigger that gets. So it was this huge, purity was a huge deal. So anyway, so I knew how this worked. And, um, I had gone out on several dates with this guy and he was, I mean, he was really funny, very smart. Like we, we would have made really good best friends, honestly. But, um, you know, I, I also tend to be kind of psychic. So I knew what direction this was going. And in fact, I knew the night he was going to ask me on the date that he would be asking me to be his girlfriend. We were at a midweek service. We were at a hotel. Like, we rented out hotels. We didn't have an actual building because, you know, so we could grow and not be trapped. But um, so anyway, I just knew that he was going to ask me on this date that would be the date when we would become boyfriend and girlfriend and then we'd be on this road. And I, I hid from him. I literally saw him coming from across the room. I panicked. And I dove into a classroom that was empty and turned off the light and hid in the corner. Aww. And that was, now I know that was my inner self screaming at me. Do not do this. This is not right for you. But I'm like, oh, you're just nervous. This is what you've always wanted. And so I talked myself out of listening to myself and got up, and as I walked out of that room, I just kind of knew I was, I was on the path. I knew what my future was going to be. Yeah. I didn't know that I was going to have four kids and have him be an alcoholic, but that's kind of a whole other thing. Wow. So, yeah. So you're having these feelings. Had you had feelings like that before, like when you were a child, like having crushes on people, or was this feeling of like, oh, this is something strange, new? You know, it was interesting because... My crushes when I was growing up were mislabeled because I had crushes on girls. And I remember when I was in, I was, took dance lessons, right? And I was in my little tutu or whatever when I was six or seven years old. And we had this big dress rehearsal for our recital. 
And there was this girl, I don't, I remember her name even to this day, that should say something. We would do this dress rehearsal and we'd watch all the other classes do their things. And she was like kind of a big deal in the dance school. So she had, she was in several numbers and I would just watch her and be like, wow, she's so pretty, you know? And, um, I don't know what I said to my mom, but I remember her saying to me, oh, you really look up to her. And so that's how I labeled my crush. So I thought I looked up to people. I didn't, I didn't understand what those feelings really were because they were mislabeled. So when I met my future husband, it was what was actually anxiety, I thought was like butterflies and crushy feelings, when now I know that actually wasn't what it was. Wow. I mean, just imagine, like, had your mother known and, like, had really open and honest conversations with you at that age when you were a child and there wasn't all the church stuff, right? Yeah. How different your life could have been. Mm -hmm. Oh, 100%. When I was a kid, I I knew gay people were the bad people, right? Like, I, I don't remember exactly all the words that I heard, but I knew that gay people were the worst possible people because, and God had given up on them. There's a verse in the Bible that says something about God had given them over to their sinful lust, something rather. And so I was taught that gay people were the people that God had given up on and they were terrifying. And so as a kid, like a elementary school kid, I was literally afraid of San Francisco because that's where all the gay people were. So highly recommend. <laughs> It's a good place. I like it. It is a nice place. I have. Okay. No more fear. No more fear. San Francisco now. I was going to say, it's a good place. Check it out. So you're in the ICOC. You're now married. Mm -hmm. You're having, you said you have four children. One of them called. Yes. That was my youngest. So what was that like? I was determined if I was going to do this, I was going to fucking do this. (laughs) So I. The best Proverbs 30 wife you could ever expect. (laughs) That was not nearly enough. No, no. I had to go way beyond Proverbs 31. No, I literally, um, I homeschooled. I ground my own wheat and baked my own bread. Yes. That was, I was, I was serious. Like, so like little henny penny or whatever, I was really good at it. It was was really good bread. But, but, um, no, because I think what would happen is as the gay would creep up, I would shove it down in Christian harder. How can I be more of this to keep from being that? I even remember having the thought go through my head of, wow, I'm so glad I found God because if I hadn't, I might have become a lesbian. And I remember thinking that was like this terrifying thing. And what if that had happened to me? I'm so grateful that I found, you know, the truth or whatever. So it was always, it was under the surface and I would just keep. It's just, I just go, I just go make more bread. Boiling and steaming (laughs) and festering. And you're like, does anybody want me bread? Exactly. I made and churned my own butter for it. (laughs) At what point in your ICOC journey, were you like, this is enough and I got to get out of this place? Okay. So, um, anybody who's a mother knows, yeah, that what you will not do for yourself, you will do for your children. And when my oldest daughter said, can I study the Bible? I was like, no. They are not going to indoctrinate her. And that shocked me when, because that it was one of those unfiltered thoughts that jumped into my head. And I was like, no. And so we literally, I, 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 I knew the last service that I was going to. And here, I'm the single mom dragging, dragging these four little kids because I got divorced um, a few years before I left the church because, um, like I said, my husband was an alcoholic and not a, not a very fun one. <laughs> anyway. Um, not a fun Bobby. Not new. So anyway, I literally, like our last service, I walked in and the hotel had screwed up and they had forgotten to set up the chairs and they forgot to set up the children's classroom. So we were sitting on the floor, right, for this church service and they decided not to make it very long because people were uncomfortable. And so I just knew at that moment that I was done and I literally like grabbed my kids 
and went running out. And I had my disciples discipler going, Kathy, we really want to have you over for dinner as I'm running out of the church because they knew that like I was perhaps considering straying, I think. They could tell that something was amiss. You just so, grabbed yeah, your kids I and grabbed just my ran? kids and ran. Yes. And it yeah. wasn't like I mean honestly in college there would have I mean, they would go to people's houses who said they were going to leave, and I mean, it was nasty. But that wasn't so much. It loosened up a little bit after that um, letter came out because some of it they couldn't deny anymore, so they did back off on some of the culty behavior. But it was still, I mean, it'll never not be a cult. I don't care how much they change, right. you know. But, um, yeah, and so that began my, I, I deconstructed before deconstruction was cool. Right. If you're not familiar, deconstructing from your faith is going back through and considering what you believe and deciding, like looking at where your beliefs came from and deciding if they're actually true for you or if they were just true for the people who taught them to you. And I was terrified of going to hell. And so I, it was over the summer, I, I sat down and I was like, I'm going to figure this out. And so I started studying the doctrine of the ICOC to try to find the loopholes and see if there was a way I could still be saved and not be there. And, you know, I found, I found what I was looking for. I was able to calm down. We actually switched. We, we still went to church. Um, I still considered myself a Christian at the time. Um, but so we'd start going to my parents' church, which was a much calmer, it's very conservative, but it's not like culty. And so um, it was just, it was a much warmer place. It was nobody ever asked me what I was doing or where I was going or about my life. They were just like, hey, we're great. It's great to see you. Nobody ever asked me to give money. Um, so we did that for several, year, several years, and it was pretty healing because I was able to see, oh, wait, there are other Christians who don't believe the kind of stuff I was taught in the ICFC. Well, you're also here because... You were in an MLM that we've never talked about before. And you guys leave comments all the time like, when are you going to talk about Beauty Counter? And I was like, it'll come up, okay? <laughs> Do you have a story to share? Because we can talk about it now. That, you know, like, I, how, do you, how do you just, like, do you have a story to share? You know what I mean? It comes up. came up and yes. we're, we're doing it now. So let's talk about, before we get into beauty counter, if you guys don't know, it's makeup, skincare, green, very green label, clean beauty, that clean whole shebang. Yes. Um, and you have education in holistic. Yes. No, I was, um, I became a teacher and then decided after a few years that I didn't want to do that anymore. And so I decided to become a functional nutritional therapy practitioner. And so I got a certification as basically a holistic nutritionist and I was getting ready to start my practice. And I was like, okay, I'm teaching people how to put healthy stuff into their bodies, but then they go home and they slather all this crap on their skin and our skin absorbs what we put on it. So I was like, it'd be really cool if I had something to offer them that would be safer. That's how they get you. It is. And I was following a couple of influencers at the time. This was back when they were really talking about it. Like very few, it's, I don't know, it's calmed down as, as you have shown up on the scene and <laughs> other people like you. Um, but so I actually reached out and said, Hey, I think I'd like to sell beauty counter. And I didn't, I, I didn't know about the pyramid. I didn't really understand. I didn't think it was an MLM. I just was like, I want to make these products available to my nutrition clients. And if I make a little money on the side from that, that's great. But that wasn't my that wasn't my goal. Beauty Counter is an interesting MLM because they also have like their own retail side. Like they've sold Beauty Counter in Target, and it's not the MLM. I mean, I'm sure it's the same products, but it, it muddies the water. It makes it, it a little more legitimate. People are like, "Oh, I got that at Target. I love that. You sell it. I'd rather pay you than Target." Right. And so a lot of MLMs do this. It's horrible. 
But they do this because they know that they can get us and they can sucker us in. The body shop is another one that has their own MLM side where the body shop is. I know we have an episode coming up. She's like, wait, what? (laughs) I know. I know. Uh, And so it's very, very interesting that for you saying, I want to live this more holistic life and become this nutritionist, that the, the green, clean beauty on the outside would fit perfectly with that. Right. So you joined Beauty Counter and what happens? Okay. So I reached out to this um, Instagram influencer, which turns out I had a crush on. But, you know, I just really looked up to her. Yeah. It seems like you just really looked up I to her. I really a lot. looked up to her. Yes. So, <laughs> I'm going to anyway, use that now. Yeah. I really look up to you. <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> so I reached out to her and I was like, hey, I'm interested in selling Beauty Counter. And she was like, oh, fantastic. I can't mentor you because I have so many other people I'm mentoring, but there's this wonderful person who um, can work with you. Yes. Yes, exactly. So, um, so yes. So she put me with someone. She was stacking. Yes. Stacking. Absolutely. And so she put me with this woman and she was very nice. And she honestly, like, I will say that my experience in beauty counter is not nearly as terrible as many people's experience in MLM. Um, I did not feel pushed to like buy the biggest thing, but this is me. I'm still the same person who ground my own wheat and baked my own bread. And so when I saw what this was and it was again, looking for community, right. And it seemed like this really cool thing. They had this great mission, you know, getting safer beauty into the hands of everyone or whatever. I don't remember how they worded it, but, um, so, you know, I joined and all of a sudden, this desire to just have some safer skincare for my clients, um, I started getting all the emails and, okay, now you make this list and that list and you figure out who you can talk to and now we're going to have this. And it was so similar to what I had been through in the ICOC, but I didn't really recognize it for what it was at the time because, you know, it was, we're going to have this campaign, but they wouldn't call it that. And we weren't door knocking, but you would, you know, reach out to a certain number of people a day and, And so I was like, so I tried to do this for a few months, right? And I felt super slimy reaching out to people. I did the reach out to a couple people on Facebook. I hadn't talked to in years and it just felt gross. And so I was like, I don't know about this. And then we had one of those like campaign things, whatever they called it, where you're supposed to, you know, reach out to 10 people a day or whatever. And so I sat down and I made my list and I just went, no, no, I'm not doing this. Because it just, it felt really gross. So that was when I stopped. And gratefully, I sucked at it. So I only got one person in my downline. So wow. that, that dirt list. Yes. I don't remember if that's what they called it. but e- Emily yeah. Emily Lynn Paulson, who wrote Hey Hun, she calls it the dirt list. She mentions the dirt list in her book. And it's a thing. They, they have you sit down. I remember in LuLaRoe, they, were, they would give us like five minutes and it would be in a setting like this with so many more people and we were all dressed horribly and they'd be like you have five minutes to write down as many names as you can and whoever can write down the most names is going to get a prize which was just probably like you know like a stupid pair of leggings or something but it was like oh I need that prize and we'd sit there like even if you don't know their name just write what they do or write a description if you don't know their name so it's literally like check out bagger at store (laughs) Starbucks barista with the highlights. Like it was the most disgusting list. And I remember looking back on it and going, and that was one of the last events I did too, was like really looking at that list from that, Hey, this is triggering me. This feels like not a good place. Like you're saying that you were like, Oh my gosh, it's like the ICOC, but it's slightly different. Mm -hmm. It comes with a different Halloween costume. So I don't know. It's the same kid trick or treating at my house. It's, it's the same and feeling that trigger and like, and connecting like, like bravo to you for that. So you don't last very long in beauty counter. No. You realize it's basically a cult. You're basically in the same thing again. At what point in your life did you then also realize, you know what? I'm gay. (laughs) Yeah. Like, where does that come in? That, um, so beauty counter was in like 2018. Okay. So right before the pandemic. Right. Pretty, pretty close. Um, and so I was, I think going to nutrition school was kind of the beginning of recognizing that there were other ways to be than what I was taught. And as I, as my world expanded and I met more people, like I met someone who was also, um, an NTP 
who was in uh, an open marriage is what she called it at the time. And um, like to me, like Polly was like, what is that? But I'm like, I like her. She's nice. She's a great person. And so I think my world was expanding a little bit. And then my kids were getting older. And so I had teenagers. And they would come home from their youth group. at We were still at the same conservative um, church. And they would, they're very homophobic at this church. And so my kids would come home and be so angry of the th- at the things they had said because they had queer friends at church and they were just like, you know, how horrible for these kids. And so it, it made me mad because I'm like at this, I get that it says it in the Bible, but it just, it seems like such a dumb thing to be upset about. I mean, it's just love. Like, can't you get upset about some of the other really awful stuff instead? Right. And so, so I much stuff to hate. It's I know. So let's let's Ridiculous. gay people. Yes. So, but I would tell my kids, I'm like, if any of your friends are not accepted by their families, because there was a lot of that, I'm like, you bring them to me, and I will look them in the eye and tell them they're just fine exactly as they are, and give them a hug. And at the time, I mean, and I was passionate about that, and it didn't make sense to me that I felt that way, but um, that's. That's how I felt. And so I think like things were, my world was expanding. My fear was softening a little bit over that time. I also had a huge crush on Rachel Maddow, (laughs) but um, I didn't, of course, I I looked up to her. (laughs) Really, really looking up to her. Really looked up to her, watched her show every single day. But um, I just wanted to be very well informed. Um, So She has a cute haircut. She is. She has a very cute haircut, lots of things. Um, So anyway, but um, I think my world was expanding a little bit. And then the pandemic hit. The Great Awakening. The Great Awakening, yes. I I just recall it that because then just you frame it in something else. So many people that have come on the show have been like, and then COVID hit. And then I wasn't going to my church. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't hanging out with my cults. And I wasn't doing the thing. And I wasn't... and. All of a sudden, I had time to think for myself without any external in your face. Yep. So the great awakening happened. And that's exactly how it was for me because I stopped going to church. I wasn't, I didn't get go spend time with my very religious family. And I didn't realize what was happening at the time. But, you know, so I started watching church online and then I find myself being later each time. And then I started eating breakfast while I watched church. And then I started falling asleep while church was on. And finally, I'm like, oh, fuck this. I'm not doing it anymore. You just <laughs> described my arc of watching LuLaRoe, like, home office things. Like, I was so there in the beginning. And then, like, I'd be, like, late. And then I don't even think I would get dressed. I'd just be, like, in a robe with my camera <laughs> off. Totally. Like, yeah. so relatable. Yeah. So I kind of went through that. And then... I decided I was, I ended up not sticking with being a nutritionist because I realized I really didn't want to tell people what to eat. And so, but what I figured out that I really loved doing, which I'd loved since third grade, I don't know why it dawned on me, was writing. And so I started, now I'm a copywriter and I write for other nutritionists. And so I was working on building my business. And so I did a business mentorship. And this was with a woman I had met. She was also an NTP. I had also met her at the only, like, non-religious retreat I had ever been to, which is a whole other story that we don't have time for. <laughs> but um, anyway, it's – actually, I will say at that retreat was the first time I admitted out loud that I was attracted to women. And I was bawling. And it was to the woman who was in the poly relationship, That actually. you looked up to. No, I didn't look up to oh. her, actually. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, um, yeah, so – I joined this business mentorship and this was a very unusual business mentorship. She was all about like helping you get to know yourself so you can figure out what you want your business to be like, rather than just like trying to do what all the gurus said. And so we had one-on-one calls every week, Zoom calls. And so the first week we talked about my business. The second week we, uh, we're talking and she said, okay. And she's very woo by the way. And so she said, you know, my guides are telling me to ask you about something and it's really personal. And if you don't want to talk about it, you just tell me no and we'll move on. And she said, I feel like I'm supposed to ask you about your sexuality. And 
being the foreknowing psychic type of person, I knew she was going to do that. And so I had a prepared statement. Um, Pulls out her note card. No, seriously, I had a prepared statement like, you know, I don't really know. Like, I was finally ready to admit I had a crush on Rachel Maddow. Um, and so we had the most uncomfortable conversation I've ever had in my entire life. And she, was, she wasn't, like, asking probing questions. She was just like, so, you know, do you, like, date or... You know, and just asking me different questions. And after about 10 minutes, she just looked at me. She said, you are so uncomfortable right now. And I had this, like, rash up my neck. And so, um, but I was like, yes. But I was determined to sit there and have this conversation. Like, everything in me wanted to run away, but I didn't. Um, By the way, side note, my uh, office where I had this conversation is in my closet. (laughs) So... Anyway, so I was sitting in my closet having this conversation about my sexuality, and we uh, got off the call, and I felt terrible, and I didn't know why. I felt absolutely terrible, and I felt horrible that whole day. I went to bed feeling horrible. I woke up the next day. I still felt horrible, and I so I did this meditation in the morning that I had done a lot of times. It was kind of like a get in touch with your higher self kind of thing. Uh-huh. And so I did this meditation, and over the course of the meditation, I realized that I, I, that like I had a wall around myself that I had never noticed before, and I didn't know what it was. And in this meditation, and this sounds so woo and crazy, but um, I decided to take one little chunk out of this wall, and I didn't know what that meant at the time. I just knew I needed to open something up a little bit and let some sun in is what it felt like. So after the meditation, I felt a lot better. Um, I went about my day and, you know, I was building my copywriting business. And so I was in a, I had a copywriting mentor separate from my business mentor. And so she had a Facebook live Q and a every Friday, right? She had this big Facebook group. And so I would get in the Facebook group a few minutes early and kind of scroll through and see people would, these are all new writers, right? So they would post their articles or whatever that they had written. And then we would critique each other, cheer each other on, go to medium and do click the little clappy thing 50 times. Um, and so I was scrolling along looking to see what their, what the articles were. And I swear to God, there was an article titled, am I a lesbian? (laughs) And I clicked on this article before I even knew what I was doing. And I started reading her article and I was like, Oh shit. (laughs) Oh shit. Oh shit. And I was panicking, absolutely panicking. And then at the bottom, she referenced a document that I recommend to everyone read, regardless of your sexual orientation. It's called the Comphet Master Doc. The Comphet Comphet stands for Compulsory Heterosexuality. So that is, that's the reason why gay people have to come out and straight people don't. Because everyone is assumed straight. Right. And so what someone like me will do is try to fit ourselves into that compulsory heterosexuality. And so this document that this woman, who I did reach out to later and say, you'll never believe what your article did. Um, But I, so I clicked over to this other document. It's long. It's like 35 pages long. And I'm freaking out at that point. So I just scrolled to the bottom to see if there's a TLDR. And there was, there's bullet points. And I started reading these bullet points. And by the end of it, I was just laughing. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, so I, I stopped reading the article and this whole time I'm still trying to pay attention to the Q and a, but anyway, so I stopped reading this article and I was like, lesbian, like lesbian, is that possible? And I was like, I'm not going to make a declaration. Like, I'm just gonna, I'm just going to kind of sit with this for a little while. And so I finished up, you know, the Q and a, and I decided to go to the gym. So I'm driving down the street going lesbian. And I get to the gym, and the gym that I go to is, um, it has a walking track up on the second floor where you can see the whole gym. And one of the things that this uh, Comphet document talks about is when you're gay and you're trying to convince yourself you're not, sometimes you will go into a space and you will pick out some dude to convince yourself that you're attracted to him. To, like, keep the, sort of, keep the, okay, you know, to continue lying to yourself basically. And so I went to the gym and I started walking around the track and I looked down at the gym and I realized I did that every single time I walked on that track. I would find some dude and go, oh, he's cute. And as I was walking on that track and I looked down, I went, I don't have to do that anymore. 
And that was the moment when I was like, fuck yeah, I'm a lesbian. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, I look up to her, I look up to her, I look up to her. Yeah, so, um, so I got on the call with my mentor the following week in my closet (laughs) and um, she was like do you want to talk about last week and I said yeah I said I'm a a lesbian she goes yeah I figured (laughs) and um, it was I wish every single queer person could have a coming out experience like I had with this woman she was so kind and held space for me I don't know how long it would have taken me if she hadn't held the space for me to figure it out and to realize that I could be okay. I could be gay and be okay. That should be a t-shirt. Um, but she actually like cried when I came out to her because she was just so honored that I would share that with her. So, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So, and now I'm on a podcast talking about it. <laughs> it's just, you have this really cool... Like, story of suppressing who you were for 50 years. Yeah. So you could spend eternity in a magical village. Like, your whole life. Yeah. And now you're out and proud and you get to be who you are. How does that feel? It feels really good. As a matter of fact, the day that I realized when I had my, holy shit, I'm a lesbian moment at the gym, um, I went home that night and... You would think that I would be upset or scared or freaking out, but I wasn't. I think I came to, I eventually came to terms with the fact that my brain is, is very smart and it was protecting me and it would not let me see the truth until I felt safe enough to see the truth. So when I finally saw the truth, I was really ready for it. And I felt like someone had lifted a thousand pound weight off my shoulders. And I was literally like, I popped in my headphones and I started dancing. I was dancing around the house to my happy music by the end of the evening. And my kids are looking at me like, what is happening to you? And I was like, never mind. We'll talk about this later. But it just felt so good to finally own it and to finally be in alignment with who I really was. So, yeah. It was, it was a happy thing. That's beautiful. I love that, Kathy. And thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, absolutely. And being here is such the perfect place to tell a coming out story as that obsessed fest. Do you know what I mean? Like, what a great place to do that. Um, I know that I normally, like, do rapid-fire questions. We have, like, three minutes. So okay. we can be super rapid for the first time ever. Uh, tell me uh, one word that encompasses your entire journey for you. Joyful. I love that. What is, uh, what's the next question? See, I literally have to check. Are you going to ask me about my, the worst MLM in my opinion? Oh yeah. That's one of them. I listen to your podcast. Yes, yes. I know, but that's the third question. Oh, sorry. I missed whatever the second, the second question. Was. Which I'm totally drawing a blank on. Who knows? What's the normal second question? Oh, a warning. Oh my God. You guys are so good. Thank you for being here for Okay. Me. Give me a warning to somebody who maybe is still denying who they truly are in whatever aspect what what uh, the warning is for somebody who isn't willing to be their true self or isn't ready to be their true self? Um, to trust yourself and start listening to your inner voice. Your inner voice is not actually lying to you. What's the worst MLM in your opinion? You know, I... If that's a tough one. I would say... Probably Amway. Just I knew it. it was, yeah. That's just the, the really easy one to, to go back on because it kind of. It's either Amway or all of them. And I'm like, yes. Yes. <laughs> I've had a couple. All of them. Is that an answer? Uh, what is the worst memory of your journey? Honestly, that's a tough one. I, I think it would be. Just one of the moments, I can't pinpoint a specific one, but just one of the moments where when I was a kid, I was told that being gay was bad. And just that seed that planted and just took root so early. And just, and the emotion and the fear that came with that, because some part of me always knew, you know, so. And, And what is the positive takeaway from this entire journey for you? Um, the positive takeaway I think is... I'm a badass. <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah, okay. So, seriously, just, like, I'm really proud of the work that I've done. 
and pushing through all of that to finally see who I really am and to be okay with that. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh my gosh. And thank you, you guys, for being my first live audience. This is wild. Thank you so much for being here and supporting the show. There's a meet and greet right after if y'all want to come by and say hi, or if you just see me around, just holler. You look like you have a question. I do. Do you still make your own bread? <laughs> yes, how was that during the pandemic? Did you make your own bread? I did not. I was so over it by then. <laughs> no, You're like, I... I'll just go gluten-free for this time. I'm fine. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so, so, so much to everybody here. This was really, really fun and really cool. And uh, hopefully I get to do another one of these soon. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Ah, we did it. That's always like when I turn off the camera because you guys don't see. But literally, as soon as I stop record, I go, we did it! Like that. Like I go, yay! So, we did it! It was so good. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast or visit our website at lifeaftermlmpod.com. You can find all of the links to follow in our show notes. Life After MLM is produced by Roberta Blevins. Audio editing is done by the lovely Kayla Craven. Video editing by the indescribable RK Gold. And Michelle Carpenter is our triple emerald princess of robots. If you have a story about a cult, fraud, scam, or MLM and want to be on the show, please hit us up. We would love to help you tell your story and start your healing journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans. Hans.